All righty. Well, we'll get right into our Bible lesson, and uh, then after that, we'll close in a season of prayer. We're working our way through uh, Genesis, and uh, we're, we're not making a lot of progress because, boy, I tell you what, the account of creation is so much there uh, that um, that we need to take our time and digest. And it's important. It's very, very important uh, to get this foundation. I was talking to someone. Uh, they had been watching online. And uh, Hot Rock, can you cut me down just a little bit, brother? I think I have a pretty good echo. Yeah, that's much better. Thank you, brother. Uh, but they had been watching online. And they told me, they said, I'm loving the fact that you're going through the book of Genesis. They said, when, we, when I was a child, I was interested in salvation, interested in knowing the Lord. But my big hang-up was evolution and dinosaurs, and, 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 you know, how can the creation story be true? And if the creation story is not true, then, then how can the rest of the Bible be true? And said that as a child they just could not accept the truth of the Word of God because what they had been taught concerning evolution and dinosaurs and millions of years, and they said that either someone gave it to them or they got a copy of a book by Henry Morris, who is a... A writer on biblical creationism. They said as a, as a teenager, they read his book and they got an understanding of the biblical account of creation. And once they understood that, they said then putting our trust in the Lord was easy once we grasped that. They said later on in life as an adult, they were working at a vacation Bible school and a child responded to the invitation. They took the child back after the invitation they asked the child, you know, why they came back. The child had this question, how can the Bible be true if evolution is true? And she said because of her history, she was able to just explain to that child how the Bible record of creation works and why evolution wasn't true and that was able to set the child's mind at rest. And so it's very important. The truth of the matter is many of us, without taking time to study this, would be stumped by the little kids' questions. How, how do you answer this? How do you answer that? But if we get a good grasp of the foundation of the Word of God, uh, boy, I tell you, it goes a long way. I watched a video just the other day of a preacher who was interviewing college students, college students who were studying science and biology. Now, of course, all of them believed in evolution, and all of them said evolution was the reason they couldn't believe in God. And so, boy, I tell you what, it's a, it's a big problem, and although... As Christians, maybe we don't see it as much. I believe it's somewhere we need to be very equipped so that whenever we begin to share the gospel, we're able to answer those questions. The devil knew what he was doing when he set out to undermine the foundational book of the Word of God. And so taking our time working through this uh, story of creation. The other reason we're taking our time is because I just love creation. I'm telling you what, I've thought often that if I wasn't a pastor, I would get a job at the Creation Museum because I just, man, I'm telling you, I love nature. I love the solar system. I love animals. I love plants. I just love the creation. And if you've been to the Creation Museum, they have a room there that's a I forget what they call it, insectorium or something like that, but it's just thousands and thousands of bugs. And it, it, both times we've been there, Melissa's had to come get me and drag me out of the insectorium. Boy, I mean, I'm just looking at them bugs and all the details about the bugs. And boy, I tell you, I just love the creation. And so I tend to get a little lost here whenever I'm sharing it with you. So I hope y'all don't mind that. Uh, but tonight we're going to be looking at the animal kingdom, the animal kingdom. 
As we continue working our way through the creation, of course, uh, last, uh, the last two weeks we looked at the solar system, uh, which was done on the fourth day, but now we come uh, to the fifth day. And when we come to the fifth day of creation, what had started out as a dark, water-colored solar blob has now been transformed into a beautiful, flourishing, mature earth. Now when we look at the earth, we see dry land. We see the seas that have been separated. We see plant life. We see a sun, moon, and stars. When we look at the earth on the morning of the fifth day, we see a perfect realm that has been created for the purpose of supporting and sustaining life. But on the morning of the fifth day, there's no, there's no habitants. There's nobody living in this place that was definitely designed to be inhabited. And so at the morning of the fifth day, the order of business that God had on His to-do list was to fill this earth with living, breathing, conscious life. In creating the plants, God had established life, but now He was going to go a step further in, uh, in His development in designing the animal kingdom. There's a distinct difference between the animal kingdom and the plant kingdom. Although the plants are alive and although the plants do breathe and although they do uh, produce greenery and then it turns brown and then it comes back and they're definitely alive, they grow, there's something that animals have that the plants don't have. Animals have a consciousness. Now, I'm not saying they have a conscience. They have consciousness. In other words, they can see, they can hear, they can respond to touch, to smell. Uh, they have a... a a better developed illustration of life than the plant kingdom does. And so uh, whenever we see that when God created the animal kingdom, He added this characteristic which would add to the ability of the animals to fulfill their purpose on earth. The purpose of the plant kingdom uh, uh, was, of course, to be stationary, uh, to grow and produce and flourish where they're at. The purpose of the animal kingdom uh, was to be mobile and to be living amongst the plants. And so by adding this uh, part of consciousness, it enabled them to fulfill their purpose. And what was that purpose? There on your worksheet, uh, we've got some purposes. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> that I want to look at. And really, I believe the purpose of the animal kingdom is far more vast than we could ever cover tonight. But I believe that we can summarize their purpose in just a few points. And so we'll go through your worksheet and we'll go through these fairly quickly. I believe, first of all, the first purpose of the animal kingdom was to beautify the earth. They were to further beautify the earth. When I was a kid, I used to go to a teen camp and there was a fellow who would come to the teen camp every year who was a chalk artist. And after the evening service, we would have a snack and then we would come back in and he would do this chalk art. To, and uh, I remember one uh, picture that he did very vividly. He was drawing a, a, a nature scene. And uh, it was just perfect, and we're all just sitting there watching him, and he's got all this, you know, a stream, and he's got different pictures, you know, and just a scenic picture that he's drawing. And then he took a black chalk and he drew two dark lines right down through the middle of it, very abruptly, almost like he was angry at what he was doing. And, of course, everybody's like, oh, he ruined it. But then he took those two black lines and transformed them into trees, and in the trees he put squirrels and birds, and, and I mean, it just made the picture explode with color. 
I believe when God added the animals, it was already a beautiful earth, but when he added the animals, they further beautified the earth. And how did they do that? Well, they, feel, they, they added color and movement to an already beautiful landscape. You ever be looking out your window? I, I don't know how your house is laid out, but my house, the kitchen window looks straight out at a patch of trees and uh, the, the dog houses aren't far from there and so the birds like to come in there and get the leftover dog food, you know. And a lot of times in the morning, the first thing that I'll do is walk to the sink and get myself a cup of tap water and stand there at the sink and drink my water and look out the window. And you're just looking at this tree and although it's a beautiful tree, it's just there, you know, and you see the grass and it's just there and then all of a sudden here will come a squirrel and he'll jump up on the limb. And boy, he'll catch your attention. And next thing you know, you're just standing there watching that squirrel in the tree and watching him run and play. And then here comes a bird. The animals added color and movement to an already beautiful landscape. Not only did they add color and movement, but the animals filled the earth with music that would minister to the soul of man. If you have trouble sleeping, you can go to Walmart and get you a CD. And on that CD, they'll have waterfalls and birds chirping and put you right to sleep. The, they added music uh, to this creation that God had made. Not only that, but animals fit perfectly into the ecosystem for the health and sustenance of the earth. The animals play a very important role in keeping everything working. Those that farm know that better than anybody. Boy, I'm telling you what, you go to the turkey house and get you a load of turkey manure and spread it on your hay field and it grows better than it ever grew before. It, they, they fit co perfectly into the ecosystem to keep the world healthy. Number five, the animals would provide observable demonstrations of the ability and power of God. Now, while points one through four are important, point number five I love. They gave observable demonstrations of the ability and power of God. Whenever you see an eagle soaring through the sky or you hook onto a big old bass and you're trying to reel that feller in or whatever it may be, you're trying to outsmart that, uh, that uh, buck or brother Ryan, that bear and you're trying to outsmart them in the woods, there is a demonstration, an observable demonstration of what a God we serve that he could create such a creature as this. And then they also provide natural examples of the character traits of man. I have a, a set of three books that is called Character Traits. And the books are made up of examples of character traits of men that are exhibited in animals. Some of the best object lessons you'll ever get is to get a, 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 an animal and an animal's behavior and use that to illustrate a behavior in man. Now... We should never look at animals and say because an animal does this or that it's okay for man. That's not what I'm saying at all. But there's some tremendous object lessons that can teach men. Uh, we find some examples of this in the Bible. In Proverbs 6.6 6, we see the diligence of the ant. The Bible says, go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her way and be wise. We see that the animal has taught us a character trait. We see the majesty of the eagle in Proverbs 30 and verse 19. We see the fearlessness of the lion in Proverbs 30 and verse 30. We see the strength of the ox in Proverbs 14 and verse number 4. And, and I had several more, but I decided that I couldn't spend all my lesson talking about this, so I uh, just went, uh, cut down to these four. But the animals give us natural examples 
of the character traits of man and observable demonstrations of the ability and power of God. Honestly, there is much that can be learned by observing the animal kingdom. And whether or not you're someone who enjoys watching animals, I encourage you to take a little time and just watch them. And if you can watch wildlife and not recognize that there has to be a God that put this together uh, for danger of being blunt here, you're just a little dense upstairs. <laughs> I mean, there is no other way to explain it. Whenever you watch animals, and uh, we've got uh, a lot of squirrels there behind the house. Melissa has a rule that the boys and, and myself are not allowed to shoot the squirrels that's uh, in our yard or on our property, and so uh, we've got a lot of squirrels. And boy, you watch those squirrels jump from the roof of the shed up into the tree and down on the ground, and I'm telling you, the way they move and they go... There had to be intelligent design that put that fella together. It is true of all of creation. There's so much we can learn from observing the animal kingdom. But tonight, we want to look here in, in the book of Genesis at the account of their creation and focus on what I believe are some vital truths that we need to know concerning the Bible account of the creation of animals. We're going to read in Genesis chapter number 1, starting in verse number 20. The Bible says... And God said, Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life, and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. And God created great whales, and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let fowl multiply in the earth. And the evening and the morning were the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing, and beast of the earth after his kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. There are several things we want to point out in this lesson from this passage of Scripture uh, concerning animals that go along with what I was saying, the importance of us understanding creation so we can talk to others who want to question the biblical account of creation. One of the first things I want to point out is the order in which they were created. The order in which they were created. Uh, if you look in verse 20 and 21, you see the first thing that was created was the fish. You say, Pastor John, why is this important? Well, just hang with me and you'll see that this is important. First thing that was created was the fish. It says there in verse number 20, it says, And God said, Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life. So the first thing created was the fish. And then we see, secondly, uh, in verse 20 and 21, that next was created the birds. It says, it says, Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. So first the fish, second the birds. And then when we go into the fifth day in verse 24 and 25, we see, or the sixth day, excuse me, in verse 24 and 25, we see that the uh, land animals were created, the cattle, the beast of the earth, and the creeping things. So we look at this order of creation, and this order of creation is important for a couple of reasons. First of all, this order of creation is important because it directly opposes, or is directly opposite, I believe is how I have it in your notes, it directly opposes the evolution theory of how life started. Now, I'm sure all of you are familiar with what evolution teaches. Evolution teaches that life started 
as an aquatic microorganism. So it was a microorganism in the water. And this microorganism over a great period of time began to develop until it became more of an aquatic marine creature, not necessarily a fish as we know it today, but more of an aquatic marine creature. And then millions more years went by and it developed a, 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 a characteristic to where it could crawl itself up onto land. And after a while it began to mobilize itself on land and then it developed even further and until it began to develop the ability to fly. This is how evolution says it works. Whenever you look in the Word of God, we find the first thing that was created was fish. The second thing that was created was birds. Completely opposing how evolutionists say life came to pass. Now, something I think that is interesting about this is that God does nothing by accident. And it is interesting to me that although He could have created the animals in any order He desired, the order he chose is in direct contrast to what is needed to prove the evolutionist theory. The Word of God directly contrasts. If the Bible had the same order as evolution, then people could use that to further the gap theory that we looked at a couple weeks ago. They could use that to further the day-age theory of evolution that we looked at a few weeks ago. But because God changed the order, there's no way that we can reconcile evolution and creation together. Uh, God created them that way. Another thing is this order proves the fallacy of evolution. The Bible teaches us here in verse 20 and 21 that He created the fish and the birds simultaneously. They were created at exactly the same time, at the same day. God created fish and birds uh, simultaneously and then created the land animals the next day. And this completely upsets the evolutionist theory because they say first fish, then land animals, then birds. God says, no, we created fish and birds at the same time then the next day we created land animals. Why is this important? Because so many people have tried to reconcile evolution with creation. They've tried to say, yes, the earth is billions of years old, and the way we prove this is by the gap theory. Now they put the billions of years into creation. Or the way we prove this is the day-age theory, that each day was millions of years, and that's when... And that fish and birds were created exactly at the same time and then the next day the land animals were created. And so whenever someone tries to talk to you and say, well, what about this, what about that? You can easily go to this account in the book of Genesis and show them how it's wrong. And you know what amazes me is that there are volumes and volumes and volumes written to prove the evolutionist theory or these other theories that try to reconcile the Word of God. And we have here a matter of just 20-some verses they can disprove everything that was ever written. Boy, I'm telling you what, wasn't God a, a good author? There was a, there was a new reporter covered an event, and he wanted to be very thorough, so he uh, wrote everything down, and he came back to his boss and gave his boss uh, 24 pages of typewritten details about the event. His boss never even looked at it. He handed it back and said, cut that in half. So the... Reporter went and worked and he cut it in half and brought back 12 pages. Boss never even took it. He said, cut that in half again. Then he said, cut it in half again. He got down to three pages, brought back the three pages. He said, see if you can get all that on one page. The reporter was very flabbergasted. It was like, well, what, 
do you even understand writing and was fussing at his boss and his boss said, have you ever read Genesis where the Bible recorded all of creation in these words, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And so, well, I'll tell you what, God knew how to put things in record. The next thing we see as we look at the animal kingdom, uh, first we see uh, the purpose of their creation, next we see the division of their creation, the way that God divided the animals. There's three main divisions that we see uh, given concerning the groups of animals. Uh, they are air that we see in verse number 20, water that we see in verse number 21, and land that we see in verse number 24. And then there's three subdivisions of the land animals in verse 24 and 25. There is cattle, which is your domestic animals, there are beasts of the earth, which would be your large non-domestic animals, and then creeping things. These are small animals that crawl or creep near the earth. This would be your lizards and, and snails and all these things that creep uh, near the earth. Now, it's interesting to note, if you look at verse 24 and verse number 25, it's interesting to note that in verse 24, it says, And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind. Now, notice this order, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth. So cattle, creeping thing, and beast of the earth is how it is in verse 24. But when you look at verse number 25, it says, And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. The order is changed from verse 24 to verse 25. You know what that tells me? He made them all at the same time. This wasn't a process uh, that the, the cow became a, a dinosaur and the dinosaur became a chicken. Nothing like that happened. No, this is how God put things together, which, by the way, we'll be looking in depth at dinosaurs, uh, maybe next week, but sometime soon. And most uh, evolutionists now teach that uh, birds are dinosaurs. And a lot of time, a serious evolutionist, when they eat ch chicken, will say that they're eating dinosaurs. So... Uh, Oh, I'm telling you, people are crazy, aren't they? That's the best I can do for People are crazy. But when we look at this Genesis account, we see here that God said in verse 24, he ordered them one way. Verse 25, he ordered them another way, which makes it obvious that all these animals appeared on the earth at the same time. Again, refuting the theory of evolution, the gap theory, or the day-age theory. This clarifies that they all were made at the same time. Then we... We see here also that these divisions that God gave were not based, and I think this is a very interesting point, maybe, maybe just me that gets intrigued by all this, but we see here that the divisions that God gave didn't necessarily deal with all the thousands of variations that there are in animals. God put them in simple categories, and the simple categories he put them in were in regards to how the animals would relate to us. Very simple. There are air animals, there are water animals, and there are land animals. This is how they relate to us as humans. This is how we understand the categories we put them in, air, land, and water. And then whenever he broke them down further, he said there's domestic animals, non-domesticated animals, and creeping things. This again regards how the animals uh, will interact with us, not necessarily writing pages and pages and pages on all the different variations of animals, although that's important and we need to study it and understand it. It wasn't important for this record because God was writing a record about the world that he built for man. 
And the fact that he put them in categories that indicates how they relate to man tells me that everything that he made was made for me. Everything that we see, every tree, every blade of grass, every beautiful mountain scene that we see, every sunrise, every sunset, everything about this earth, every animal that he created was created for one purpose because he was building a domain for his crown prize creation. And that was me and you. And boy, I'm telling you what, when I look at this, everything I see, I'm like, he made it for me. He made it so that I could have a place to live. He made it so that I could be happy, so that I could have a relationship with him. And boy, when you look at creation that way, it's just amazing what it'll do with your relationship with God. But then we see that there's a final defining division that God uh, puts down, and that is kinds, the word kinds. We see it uh, when he speaks to the plants. We see it when he speaks to the animals, and that is that all life was divided by this word, kinds. Now, the basis of the evolution theory is that life is able to change from one species to another. They believe that a fish over millions of years could become a bird, or an ape over millions of years could evolve into a man. But for the theory to work, there has to be the ability for species to change into another species in order for this to work. But there is not one record of this ever taking place. Not one record of one species becoming another species. All that evolutionists can show as proof of evolution is changes or development within a species. A bird developing a stronger beak. But it's still a bird. There's records of bacteria becoming other types of bacteria but it's still bacteria. There's records of mammals developing heavier coats of fur, but if it were a bear, it's still a bear. Nothing has ever changed species. Species have adapted to their climate, and species have adapted to their surroundings, but there's never, ever been a record of something changing species. Never have we witnessed or found proof of one species changing into another species. It's what the evolutionists call, or people in general call, the missing link of evolution. They claim that they have, this is where we started, and this is where we ended up, but there's a hole in the middle, and we've never been able to find anything that will fill uh, that hole. There's never been any tangible proof. But in the Genesis account of creation, God clearly defines the various forms of life, both plant and animal, as being distinguished by kind, meaning that animals can change and or develop within their particular kind, but that there can be no crossing the established lines of each kind. Cats can provide, can produce many, many varieties of cats, but they will always be cats. Dogs can produce many, many varieties of dogs, and I'm just going to be honest, some dogs that I see, I wonder if they aren't a different kind. Yeah, don't you agree with me, Ryan? I'm telling you, some of these things people keep in their houses they call dogs, it's like, you ain't never met a dog. But dogs can produce all different variations of dogs, but they're all still dogs, all within that kind. Uh, if you go to the Creation Museum, they have a zorse and a zonkey. It's, one is a cross between a zebra and a horse, one's a cross between a zebra and a donkey. 
but they're still within that same equine kind. Never, ever has anything changed kinds. Why is that important? Because it proves once again that what the Bible teaches about creation is true. What we have observed for all of time is that animals stay within their natural boundaries. They can't leave that natural boundary. And that's what the Bible teaches. Evolution says that animals can cross those boundaries. But anybody with any common sense who just observes the world around them will realize that what the Bible says makes a lot more sense than what evolution says because there's no proof that anything has ever crossed that line that God created. The next thing we see in the animal kingdom is the diversity of their creation, the diversity of their creation. And boy, I'm telling you what, there is so much we could talk about here. Thousands and thousands and thousands of plants and like to talk about the insects and, the, and all these things. And when you look at the diversity of the creation, you see the complexity that God put into the animal kingdom. As we looked at the stars and we've seen all that God put into space, we looked at the, uh, the, each thing that he's created and the plants and how many thousands and thousands and thousands of varieties. When we come into the animal world and the fish world and the, the birds, thousands and thousands and thousands of different varieties that speak of the ability and power of God. And we could spend uh, weeks and weeks looking at that. But tonight I just want to look at this. From lizards to dinosaurs, from plankton to whales, from hummingbirds to eagles, when God filled the earth with animal life, he went over the top. I'm telling you what, he went over the top whenever he created the world. As many of you know, Joel, he likes to make knives. and uh, Myself, I've played around with making knives a little bit, and I have a few things at home that we'll cut that have handles on them that you can call a knife. Uh, but whenever it comes to making knives, there's basically one kind of knife I like, and if I take an ocean to make one, that's what it's going to be. I'll, it'll be very similar every time I make it. It'll be this basic knife that I like, and that, that's how I make it. But Joel's not that way. Matter of fact, if, if you've seen a knife he made and you want one like it, it hurt, hurts him to have to make a duplicate. He likes variety. Boy, I mean, he wants every one of them to be different. He likes big knives, little knives, and all varieties of knives. I have to say, when it comes to his creative mind, he's a little closer to God than I am because he likes variety. And boy, I'm telling you what, we serve a God who loves variety variety, and he illustrated it all through his creation. He filled the earth with an enormous variety of fish and birds and animals of all shapes and sizes. He created uh, creatures that would wow us with their size and their strength. Uh, he created insects that would amaze us with their intricate details. Uh, he made creatures with abilities we can't explain, like the lightning bug. Uh, he made creatures with habits that can't be broken, like the migrations of fish and birds. When God filled the earth with living creatures, he filled it with a complex diversity that just gives us a little glimpse of his endless abilities. It just gives us a little glimpse of just what our God is able to do. But then the last thing that we have there on our worksheet tonight concerning the animal kingdom is the declaration of their creation. 
What is it that the animal kingdom declares? I believe if birds, fish, and beasts of the earth served no other purpose, we cannot deny the amazing demonstration of God's power and ability that is put on display every day by this wonderful part of His creation. The animal kingdom, as well as the entire creation, constantly proclaims the glory of God. And I'm going to read some verses here in just a minute to show that. But do you know what? The entire creation, all of it, the stars, the waters, the plants, the animals, all of creation proclaims the glory of God. But when God created you and I, we're, we, we were His crown jewel. We were the masterpiece of creation. And we were created for the same purpose as all the rest of creation. And that was to glorify God. And there's a difference in us, and we're going to be looking at the creation of man very soon. There's a difference in us that none of the rest of the creation has. And that is we have the ability to know and understand God. Not only that, we have the mental capability of understanding how to glorify God. We are better equipped than anything else that God created to glorify God. Yet all too often, nature puts us to shame when it comes to glorifying God. I'm telling you what, it ought to be our purpose that the blue jay ain't never going to show me up when it comes to glorifying God. Never am I going to let nature speak louder than I speak when it comes to glorifying God because we were the pinnacle of His creation created to glorify Him. But here's a few passages of Scripture that tell us uh, how that nature glorifies God. In Job 12 and verse number 7 down through verse number 9, the Bible says, But ask now the beast, and they shall teach thee, and the fowls of the air, and they shall tell thee. Or speak to the earth, and it shall teach thee. Or the fishes of the sea shall declare unto thee. Who knoweth not in all these that the hand of the Lord hath wrought this? Everything declares the glory of God. Psalm 96, 11 and 12 says, Let the heavens rejoice, and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar and the fullness thereof. Let the field be joyful and all that is therein. Then shall all the trees of the wood rejoice. We see the heavens, we see the earth, we see the sea and all the inhabitants, we see the field and all the inhabitants, we see the trees all glorifying God. In Isaiah 43 verse number 20, the Bible says, The beast of the field shall honor me the dragons and the owls, because I give water in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. The animals glorifying God because of what He's able to do. In Romans 1.20, we again see this glory of God, but with Romans 1.20 comes a little bit of a rebuke. It says, For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. What does that mean? The invisible things of God. I can't see His power. I can't see His might. I can't grasp it. But when I look at the creation, the invisible things of God have been revealed to me. 
When I look at the animal kingdom, when I look at the plant world, when I look at the solar system, the invisible things of God are clearly seen. How do I understand it? They are being understood by the things that are made. What is it that I understand when I look at the things that are made? His eternal power and Godhead. His supreme authority, His unlimited power. When I look at the things that are made, I understand all these things. But the last of that verse says, so that they are without excuse. This world, everything that God made, is a testimony of the true God. And the lost world is without excuse because God has revealed Himself through His creation. Some time ago I preached a message on God's signature and talked about how that whenever we look at creation, God signed it. If you ever want to see God, look at creation and you will get a glimpse of who He is, what He's like, and what He's able to do. You ever want to point someone to Jesus, you can start by pointing at the creation because it speaks of the magnificent power and supreme authority of our God. So boy, I tell you what, love the animal kingdom. I hope that I'm not wearing y'all out, taking my time going through this, but boy, I tell you what, I just love the creation, love all that it consists of, and I tell you what, there is much we can learn. And I believe the better grasp we have on the foundational truths of the Word of God, the more effective we will be in bringing others to a saving knowledge of the Lord.